Thank you for listening to the Soul City Church podcast. Be sure to follow us on our Facebook and Instagram at Soul City Church. For more information, visit us on our website, soulcitychurch.com. Welcome to Soul City Church. However you're here, either in this room or, or watching and worshiping with us online or listening to the podcast, my name is Jarrett. And I'm one of the pastors here. I don't know about you, but I want to have Jenny Emery narrate everything in my life. Don't you? She's my new Siri, my new GPS, everything. Just every day, I want Jenny Emery to tell me what to do. I love that. So, uh, yeah, we have been going through the Gospel of Mark together as we uh, head into Easter. And uh, I just want to say something real quick. Uh, it is so good to see half of your faces, those of you who are here with us, and for those of you who are worshiping online. Uh, this is a moment for you. We do it every week. Just get a little shout out where you're at. Let us know where you're joining us from so you get to rep your hood, your city, your country, whatever you want. It's a great way for us to know who it, uh, it is that's all gathering together this week. So let us know in the comments where you're at. We would love to uh, connect with you. Before I get to uh, the message today, I want to, uh, to say something, to address something um, that is, uh, I think all of us are very well uh, aware of. I want to take a minute to address the rise in uh, violent hate crimes towards our Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters. And you no doubt know about the mass murder uh, in Atlanta this past week. That's a city that's very near and dear to Jeannie and I. And while authorities fumble with calling it what it actually is, uh, it doesn't take another ethnic slur or fetishization or another person being harassed or another person being attacked or another person being killed to see that this is yet another expression of what I would classify as the demonic oppression of racism that is deeply rooted in the American story. And so there's a lot of different people speaking from a lot of different angles. I just want to speak as a pastor for a moment. I want to be really clear. It is demonic. It is not of God. It is demonic. It is deplorable. And it is dehumanizing. And so to our Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters, I just want to say we, we love you. We love you. And we, we see you in all your multifaceted distinctness and God-given uniqueness. And I personally, and I, I am so sorry we didn't see this sooner or say more sooner. It has tragically been a part of the reality of deeply rooted racism in our country that we've attempted to systematically sweep under the rug through revisionist history and the persistent insistence on assimilation to a white majority culture. And it's wrong. And I'm so sorry. And we grieve with you. And we stand with you. We stand for you. We honor you. We celebrate you. You make our lives, you make this church, you make this country better. And we commit to doing better. And we commit to to not only standing for you, but standing against racism in all of its subtle and sadistic forms. And with so much noise and, and, and posts and calls to action, which are all important, they all have their place, I thought what would be significant for us as we've gathered in this spiritual space is to take a moment of silence and resolve, to just be still and to seek God for the wisdom, 
for the words and the response that he is leading each of us to uniquely. The practice of lament has been honored throughout thousands of years of faith traditions. The Bible teaches us that we mourn with those who mourn, that we grieve with those who grieve, and that we hold this sacred space together as we hold on to God and hold each other up. So I just would love to invite you in in this space and online to just a moment of sacred stillness and silence and lament as we seek God for his healing and for his help and as we stand with and stand for our Asian American and Pacific Islander brothers and sisters and every person who is being oppressed because of who they are and who God made them to be. So will you just close your eyes for a second? We're just going to be quiet and still and maybe let come to your mind right now anyone that you know that you can think of that you are so grateful for, for who they are and their uniqueness and distinctness. encourage you to take a big deep breath right now and will you join me in saying amen amen thank you well as i mentioned a little bit ago we are nearing the end of our bad news good news teaching series on the book of mark Uh, if you're just joining us you just found our church somehow i would highly recommend that you go back and catch up on the other teachings in the series they've been incredible It's been a very powerful season for our church to actually journey together like this with Jesus towards Easter. And today we continue in our study of Mark by actually looking at what I believe to be a very clarifying conversation between Jesus and his followers. One that is critical to understanding the life of Jesus and what it means to live your life with Jesus, to follow Jesus. And it's a conversation, in my humble opinion, that sadly most Christians overlook or don't want to do, just being honest. We just don't want to actually follow this teaching of Jesus. But before we unpack that a little bit, I want to ask a question. We're going to do something we haven't done for over a year as a church together. I'm actually going to have you share something with the person next to you. What a concept. I know it's been a year since you've actually talked to people, let alone strangers. And so you may have to shout through your mask to get it. But I would love everyone here in this room. And and if you're worshiping with us online, you can put your answer in the comment section. So just go ahead and put your answer in the comment section. Here's the question. Don't freak out. It's like riding a bike. You're going to remember how to talk to people in person. It will come back to you. It will. This is not a Zoom. This is not a test. It will come back to you. Here's the question that I want you to turn and and answer or put in the comment section. Uh, When was actually the last time, when was the last time that you felt truly successful? It should come up here any minute now. I promise it will. When was the last time? There it is. Uh, Nope, that's not it. Uh, That's later. Yep. That's the one. Good job, everybody. Uh, When was a professional organization here? When was the last time you felt truly successful? successful. When's the last time you felt truly successful? Turn to the person next to you, share your answer with them. It doesn't have to be a big thing. It's just the most recent thing. It could be a small thing. Put your comment uh, answers in the comment section. Take about like 30 seconds. You don't have to go off. When's the last time you felt truly successful? What happened? What was it where you felt like you were on it? You got it. Go ahead and share. Put it in the comment section if you would. Feels good, right? Talking to actual people, this feels good. You remember how to do this. 
sharing a little success stories feels good. All right, so I, I think it's nice. We like that, that, that feeling, right, of feeling successful, like we did something, we got something. Oh, this isn't a big one. This is not like a, a life-defining one. But I had one yesterday, I had a moment yesterday where I felt really successful. Uh, our family went on a bike ride together because it was above 40 degrees. And that's how you do in Chicago. I think it even got above 50. And because he's a true Chicago and my son Elijah wore shorts on this bike ride because we can now, that's why we do. And so we were just heading out on our bike ride and, and leaving our place and Jean goes, oh no, I'm like, what's wrong? She goes, my chain fell off my bike. And I had one of those dad moments where I was like, I got it. And I, I like stepped up to the moment and I just flipped her bike over. And with about 60 seconds, I had reworked her chain, had it all. And then when I got it back, she goes, oh, could you also lower the seat for me? I was like, not a problem. And so then I went and got the right little wrench and kind of lowered her seat down for her a little bit. And as we were getting back on our bikes to ride in under two minutes, like an indie pit crew, I fixed that bike and we were off on our ride. One of our kids, I don't know which one, one of our kids said, wow, dad, I didn't know you knew how to do that. And I thought this is probably the greatest moment I'm experienced today. <laughs> I felt so successful. I was like, well, there's lots of other things I do too. This is just one. Felt successful. It's a small thing, right? But those moments are important. They matter, right? It feels good when you feel successful. We all want to feel that. We love that feeling, which is why today we're going to unpack this idea. And it's going to sound a little awkward at first, but if you'll stay with me, I think it will be helpful and instructive for your life. Here's what we're going to unpack together today. What does a successful spiritual life look like? What does a successful spiritual, like what does success mean? in your spiritual life, in your life with God? Like, how do you actually, okay, let me use some like, language you might use. How do you win at this whole God thing? Like, what does that actually look like? Everyone wants to be successful in their life, so how do you, how do you crush it with God, right? Like, how do you just dominate your spiritual life? Maybe that's too much. I went too far. That's too much. All right, but how, what does a successful spiritual life life look like? Because I think if we were to be honest, this is what most of us who are trying to pursue a spiritual life with God, this is what we're actually getting after, is how do I actually do this well? What does that even look like? And the reason I know this is true is because the Christian publishing industry is a $1.25 billion industry. We keep wanting to know how to win at this God thing. The reason I know is because we keep liking and resharing little sermon sound bites on Instagram because we want to win. We want to be successful, just like we do in every other area of our life, from our diet to our finances to our relationships to our parenting to our quarantine goals. Forget about those. We all forgot about those, right? We want to know what success actually looks like. Now, it should come as no surprise to anyone that our definition of success and God's definition of success are often not the same. In fact, it's safe to say they are absolute opposites from each other, which is why the conversation that we're going to look at together today that Jesus has with some of his followers in Mark 10 is so clarifying, it's so catalyzing, and it's so critical for you and for me in our life, our spiritual life with God. So here's what I want you to do. Grab a Bible or open up a tab to Mark chapter 10, all right? So grab a Bible, open up to Mark 10, or, or, or open a little tab, your favorite little app, to Mark chapter 10. If you were here or you joined us last week, you heard Pastor Phil break down a section of Mark 10 a little earlier in the chapter. We're going to go towards the end of the chapter, Mark chapter 10. In the physical life of Jesus, we are getting closer and closer and closer to the cross. In fact, at this point in the gospel of Mark, everything is pointing to the cross. Jesus knows what is to come. He knows 
what must be done, but his followers just don't get it. They still, even towards the end, that should be encouraging to you, they still don't have it actually figured out. Because they still see Jesus as their ticket to power and success. He is their spiritual, and as we'll see in a minute, political sugar daddy. And they continue to project onto Jesus what they imagine a king should look like. And more significantly, more importantly, what they imagine their lives will look like once he is king. Mark chapter 10, verse 35 says this. It says, then James and John, these are two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him, him being Jesus. Teacher, they said, you got to love this, the audacity, it's so awesome. Teacher, they said, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. (laughs) Okay, we're about to ask you something, Jesus, just tell us you're going to do it, right? We want you to do for us whatever it is that we ask. And I love that Jesus kind of knows what's going on here. And I think he's just kind of playing along with them, right? He's like, oh, you do. Okay, that's great. That's how this works? Okay. And he says, okay, so what is it that you want me to do for you? This is so great because what are the disciples doing here? They are straight up jafaring Jesus right here. They are treating him like a genie in a bottle and he has to do whatever it is that they wish or whatever it is that they ask. Thank God that none of us do that with God today. (laughs) Right? So this isn't new, okay? We all do this. We all do this, right? But this is what's important. Look at what they asked for in verse 37. Mark 10, 37 says this. They replied, this is what we want. Let one of us sit at your right and the other one at your left in your glory. Now we're going to unpack what that really means and what they're really asking for in, in just a bit. But we have to pause here because there's something so fun. As I was studying and preparing for our time together this week, there's a parallel account as there are in, in multiple moments in the Gospels. You can read it in another book of the Bible, another gospel account. And Matthew has this exact same conversation in his gospel account, except there's one detail that's different in Matthew's gospel, and it's something utterly awesome. Like, it is some next-level stuff. So you don't have to turn there. I'll put it up on the screen for you. But Matthew 2020 records that same conversation, but this is the important detail. I'm going to have you shout out the underlined word. Then the who? Then the mother. This is different. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons, that's James and John, came to Jesus with their sons and kneeling down, asked a favor of him. And he plays along too. What is it you want? She said, oh, Jesus, grant that one of these two of my sons of mine may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. Listen, 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 listen. You know things are bad when you're grown and you got to bring your mom in to talk to the teacher for you. Like, that is, that is not a good look. I mean, imagine you going in to talk to your boss and asking for a raise and sitting down and being like, thank you so much uh, for this time. I really appreciate it. I feel like I've proven uh, my worth to this organization. I've put in the time over all of these years. And to really make my case for me, I'd like to bring in my mom. Mommy, come in and mommy, mommy, come in real quick and talk to the nice boss. No one would ever, that, that's not a good look. Do not actually ever do that. Now, what is it that they're actually wanting here? They want to sit at the right and the left of Jesus when he sits on his throne. Now, it's important to note, you may think, oh, that's spiritual. Like, they want that for heaven. That's actually not the context that they're referring to. They they didn't actually talk a lot about heaven with Jesus. What they wanted to do is they wanted to be positioned next to Jesus when he takes over here on earth. That's the position that they actually want, to the right 
and to the left of Jesus. And in those days, uh, of kings and queens, in those days when uh, someone sat to the right of the king or the queen, they were the second most powerful person in all the land. So it's a significant ask. And the person who sat to the left of the king or the queen was the third most powerful person in the land. And so basically what James and John and their mom are asking, that's a, James, John, and their mom, that's a great emo band-like name. Anyway, um, what, they're asking, what they're asking Jesus to do here is to pick his VP and his speaker of the house. Like, Jesus, you're going to need some right hand and left hand. We're here for you. Pick us. But regardless of who is asking and what it is that they, they're asking for, I think it, it, it underlines a core sort of belief that they had that we all, if we were to be honest, we all actually have. And this core belief that we have is backed up by just about every single power structure in our world. And the assumption behind that belief is this. It's that, that position equals power. Depending on what my position is, that's where the power is. The higher the position, the more power. This is a belief. This is what they were showing up with. Position equals power. The closer I am to the top, the more influence I have over others. The more I make, the more valuable I am, or at least will appear. The more important my title, the more authority it gives me. The bigger and better my degree, the greater people will think of me. This is an underlying belief that we have, is that position equals power. And at some level, and I would contend that at many levels, we believe it too. You and I today believe it too, which is why Jesus goes on to ask them, if they really actually can position themselves like he had, if they were willing to take that posture and position, that if they even knew what real power actually was. See, Jesus, Jesus gets in this moment that they don't get it, that they're stuck on success and power. But the conversation is not over. It takes a very interesting turn because the other disciples heard what James and John and their mom were, were doing and apparently they weren't feeling it. They weren't actually feeling it. Look at verse 41. Mark 10, 41 says this. It says that, that when the 10, that's the other 10 disciples of Jesus, when the 10 heard about this, they became, this is such a great word. Let's say it out loud together. When the ten, wait, 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 I'll tell you when. Uh, when the 10 heard about this, they became indignant. Isn't that a good word? We need to say that word more often. They became indignant with James and John. That is such a fun word to say, indignant. I don't think we use that word enough. I think we should, like, like next time, next time Gene and I get frustrated with each other, I'm going to use the word indignant. I just want to see, I'm going to use the word indignant. Like, like hypothetically, just this, now this is a completely hypothetical situation. Hypothetically speaking, the next time Jeannie uses my special beard trimming scissors that are only for trimming beards to cut a tag off of a new sweater, I'm going to tell her I'm indignant with her. And I think it will go well. I think it's really going to go. I'll give a follow-up report later. Uh, but why, why, why were they so indignant? Why is it that they were so indignant? Was it out of reverence for Jesus and his mission? No, was it, was it because they were so oh, indignant with James and John that they couldn't see the bigger picture of the kingdom of God? Is that why they were indignant? No, they were indignant because James and John thought of it first. They were indignant because James and John asked for what they all wanted. They were indignant because James and John brought their mom as a phone-a-friend just in case. That's what really had them Mad. They wanted the same thing. And Jesus can see that this conversation is going sideways quick. And so he calls them all together in Mark 10, 42. And he breaks it all down for them. And he uses this as a teaching moment, not only for them, but for you and me. This is important. 
Jesus says to them in Mark 10, 42, he says, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles or leaders in this world lord it over them. They use, even abuse. They show off their power. You know, he's basically saying this, you know how it works in this world, right? And their high officials exercise authority over them. You understand how power structures work in our world. Jesus is laying out what is still true to this day. The structures of power and success according to this world. But Jesus, like he so often does, turns that whole paradigm on its head and introduces us to the idea of an upside-down kingdom. Verse 43 says this, and this is really important. Pay attention to this phrase. Not so with you. You know how it works in this world. Not, not so with you. Instead, here's the other way. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man, referring to himself, even me, coming here straight from my throne in heaven, even me, did not come to be served, but to serve and to give my life as a ransom for many. That phrase is so important. Not so, not so with you. Not so with you. Yeah, I know that's how they do. Not so with you. Yeah, I know that's how things move forward at your work. I know that's how things work on the dating scene here in Chicago or wherever it may be. Not so with you. Not so with you. Yeah, I know how every major majority power structure works and how they fight to hold on to power, how they climb and claw to get to the top. Not so with you. Not so with you. I get the allure of influencer culture where the desire for more likes and more reposts and more comments, everyone is drawn to it and drawn by it. Not so with you. Not so with you. That's not what drives you. That's not what motivates you. I get how this world thinks that those who are on the top are the ones who actually have it all figured out, are the most successful. They are the goal that we're all going after. No, not so with you. Not so with you. And Jesus uses... The imagery of a servant or a slave, not in any way to condone that practice, but to use it as an extreme example that they would all be familiar with in their cultural context to paint the picture of what real power looks like, what real success looks like. Not so with you, he says. You take the low position. You go in the opposite direction. In other words, if I can borrow a phrase and twist it a little bit, flip it a little bit, I want to use the words of our former First Lady Michelle Obama and, and in this context say this, when they go high, you go low. When the world is chasing after success, when the world is chasing after power, when the world is chasing after fame, no, 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 no. You go low. You take that servant position. You take that lowly position. What Jesus is doing here is he's not only exposing how the kingdom of the world works, but he is explaining how the kingdom of God works. He's inviting you and I into an upside-down kingdom and reframing what real power actually looks like, what real spiritual success, if you will, looks like. See, what Jesus is saying here is that what we often see as the pinnacle or, or, or the goal for our lives 
It ultimately, lots of times, it may take different forms and look different for each of us, but it is about success. We all want to be successful. And again, it may look different for you. For you, it may be in your career. You want to be successful. And there, you know how that ladder works, right? You know that you got to get this position, then you got to get this, and then you got to move here. That's what success looks like for you. For others, what it may look like for you is like you want to be a successful parent. So you follow all of these parenting accounts on Instagram. You read all these books. Why? Because you want to be successful. Whatever it may look like for you, all of us are chasing after that life, a successful life. And anytime we are caught up in pursuing success in our lives, the question that we're ultimately asking is, what are they doing? 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 Why? Because we need something to bounce off of as a barometer for what success really is. If it weren't for others' success, you would have no idea what success is. So we look at others. We look to their lives. This is exactly what's happening with James and John and the disciples. James and John look at other kingdoms and power structures and goes, I have an idea. To be successful, we need to sit at the right and the left of Jesus. The other disciples look at James and John going, what are they doing? What are they doing? And why is their mom here? Right? And they're going, wait, we got to get ours. We got to secure ours. And that's what you're constantly doing. What are they doing? What are they doing? What are they doing? Because you're measuring where you're at and everything you're doing to try and be successful. Right? A lot of us follow this path. Jesus would say, yeah, this is the way of the world. This is the way that stream flows. It's what people go after, what people pursue. But then there are seasons in your life, there's times in your life where success is not what you're after. Maybe you hit a difficult season. Maybe things change in your financial world significantly. Or you lose a job. Or you, a relationship comes to an end. There's a, there's a turn or a twist in your story that you did not see coming. You lose someone that you love, and you're not worried about success in those seasons. And if you're wondering, like, oh, I wonder if I've ever gone through a time like that in my life, I would just encourage you to go back and look at the tape from 2020 because we've all been through it. This last year has been a year where our primary concern wasn't success, but what? It was survival. I think we are in a post-traumatic stress of survival mode. All of us are at some level, one way or another. What does survival look like? Survival asks the question, what can I do? It's up to me. I can't count on this anymore. I can't count on them anymore. I don't even know if I can count on God anymore. I'm going to hold on tight. I'm going to make it through. I'm going to kind of grin and grit and bear it and get through it. That's what survival mode looks like. And maybe you're in a season right now where you're not trying to get ahead. You're just trying to get through. Maybe your marriage is up against the ropes. You're, you're, not, you're not talking about thriving. You're talking about surviving right now. We just need to make it. We just need to make it. Maybe, maybe you're in a, a tough spot spiritually, and you're just going, no, I just got to get through. I just got to get through. I just got to get through. Survival mode. I think a lot of us are in that mode today. But what Jesus is actually inviting us into is something very different from the pursuit of success or survival. It's surrender. That's what Jesus is talking about here. Surrender. Surrender. What does it look like to fully surrender my life to God? Because a surrendered life asks the question, what can God do? What might God do if I actually made myself fully available to him? What could God do if I wasn't chasing after or clinging on to anything else and made myself fully available to him? This is what Jesus modeled for us. This is what Jesus was hoping his disciples would get. This is what Jesus is inviting you and I into, a life of surrender. And you can count on this. Listen, you can count on this. The way this world works is always going to be 
chasing after success. But this is the way of Jesus. I let go. I let go. I lay down. I lay down. I let go. I let go. I lay down. This may not be what I thought. This may not be what I planned. This may not even be what I want. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender to you. I surrender to you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I trust you. I'm not chasing after this. I'm not clinging on to that. I'm laying it down. I trust you. I surrender. This is where Jesus lived his life from. This is what he was trying to teach us. This is what he was trying to teach his disciples in that moment. No, you don't get it. This is what it's ultimately actually about. A life of surrender where you actually acknowledge and accept the fact that you are not in control as much as you imagine you are. You not only acknowledge it, you accept. Yeah, I, I'm probably, I can't, I don't, I don't think I do have it all together. I don't think I do have it all figured out. And sometimes it takes a year like last year for us to be reminded of this. Man, I just want to surrender. I, I, I got to let it all go. I got to lay it all down. Surrender myself to the love of God, to the will of God, to the way of God in this world. What do I mean when I say surrender, that Jesus was inviting us to surrender? What does it mean to surrender to God? What I, a way of maybe defining this is I would say with surrender to God is unassailable availability. Unassailable. Now, what does unassailable mean? It means you cannot attack it. You cannot tear it down. It cannot be questioned. It cannot be torn apart. It's unassailable. That's what surrender to God looks like. No, no matter what, no matter what circumstances, no matter what may be going on around me, no matter what they may be doing, no matter what I think is up to me, no, no, no. I have unassailable availability to you, God. Nothing can shake my surrender. Nothing can shake my availability to you. There is nothing in the way. There's nothing else that I'm actually going after or holding on to. This, I believe, we see projected for us most profoundly with Jesus on the cross. Not my will. But yours be done. I surrender. I surrender. This is what Jesus wants you and I to get. This is what his disciples didn't get in this moment. And I think this is, for anyone who's ever hit the bottom before in your life, in one way or another, you get it, don't you? You know this truth. If you've ever hit the bottom before, if you've ever had to go through any form, any form of recovery work, or you know someone or love someone who's gone through recovery as I do, you know that there's a reason that the 12 steps of recovery start with this idea of surrender. What are the 12 steps? The first three steps say we admitted that we were powerless over you fill in the blank, whatever it is, whatever it is that you were pursuing after, success you were chasing after, what you were holding on to for your own survival. Now we're powerless over that, and that our lives have become unmanageable. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could actually restore us to sanity. I would add the word wholeness. And this is important, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God, to turn our lives over to the care of God as we understood God, that's surrender. That's what it actually looks like, to turn my life over, to lay it down to the care of God, to the character of God, to the love of God, to surrender to God. And I think it's important to note as we, we can talk about this in, in a message and you can go, yes, yes, I want to surrender. But then like you walk out of here, you're like, wait a second, I don't like to surrender. I don't like that word. That's a, that's a bad word. I was taught that that's a bad, that's, that's what you're not supposed to do. Never surrender. And sometimes that is how surrender feels. It feels like losing. It feels like giving up. And in some cases it is. 
But what I would help, maybe might help you is to think of that, that there's two types of surrender. There is reactive surrender, where when you consider everything, you tried all that you can try, you've done all that you can do, you realize that you cannot win, then you surrender. That's a reactive surrender. You've exhausted all of your options. You are out of any other resources. So you reactively to that surrender. That's one kind of surrender. But what Jesus is inviting you into is a different kind of surrender. It's a proactive surrender where I actually willingly choose to surrender. Where surrender isn't my last option, it's my first position that I take with Jesus. It's my first decision to take with him. I'm willing to choose each day to, to surrender my life to the love, to the care, to the character of God. I choose to make myself utterly, unassailably, unshakably available to God. And in the process of doing so, guess what happens? I become more available to you. I become more available to you. I become more available to you because I'm not grasping after this or clinging on to that. It's a powerful thing that Jesus is inviting us into. And I let go of all of my pursuit, my reaching, my grasping for power and success when I let all that I'm clinging on to go and I open myself up to God. You know, if there's a, if there's a, a posture that embodies that idea of success that all of us are chasing after in one form or another. It's the way of this world. If there's a posture to success, it's probably this, right? You know, it's like, oh, it's out there and it's, you never quite get there, right? Talk to the most successful people you know. Talk to the wealthiest people you know. They're never, it's never fully satisfied. So it's this constant, like, re, it's just past me. I'm just reaching them on my tippy toes. I'm if there's a posture for the pursuit of success, it's this. If there's a posture for that idea of survival, maybe you feel like you're in survival mode right now. You're just trying to get by. You're just trying to get through. That posture, I think, would be this. I'm going to hold on as tight as I can to what I got and to what got me here, to what's familiar, to what I know. I'm not letting go. It's up to me. I got to do whatever I got to do to get through this. I got to fix it. I got to make it right. I got to get by. This is what survival looks like. You want to guess what surrender looks like? your knees, hands open, heart open, life open to God. God, I, I got nothing else, nothing else. I don't want anything else. Only you, I'm here, I'm available, I'm surrendered. What are you doing, God? What are you doing in my life? What are you inviting me into? What are you calling me into? What do you have for me? What do you want for me? Where are you leading me? I'm available, I'm available, I'm available. I'm surrendered. I've let go. I've laid down. I'm surrendered. I'm available to you. What would it look like for you this week to actually pursue surrender, that proactive surrender in your life, to be unassailably available to God, whatever may be going on in your life? Maybe for you what surrender looks like is you had this picture, you had this idea of where your life was supposed to be at this point. And again, that's just looking at everyone else's life, right? Your parents, other people that are successful. I'm so, I should be further in my career at this point. I should have more in the bank at this point. I shouldn't have all this college debt and this loan debt. I should be married by now. I should have a family by now. I should have figured my life out by now. I shouldn't be stuck in this habit or this pattern by now, it should be fixed. What would it look like to just lay that down?
God, I, I lay that down to your care. Maybe for you, what surrender this week would look like is there's unforgiveness in your life. You're still holding out to, to punish someone who hurt you. And I get it, they hurt you, what they did, wounded you, hurt you, they talked about you, they said things that weren't true about you, they said things they should have never said to you. And so you're still holding on, and it's like a form of survival. I'm gonna hold on to this anger. I'm gonna hold on to this hurt a little while longer just to let them know. They may not even know, but just to let them know. What would it look like for you to surrender? That unforgiveness. I'm available, God. If you, if you are leading me to forgive them, I wanna forgive them. What would it look like for you to just surrender your schedule, your agenda? Some of us have our lives so tightly wound, there's no room for God. I surrender, I lay it down, I lay it down. I know for me this morning, this was the posture I took as soon as I got here. God, I've, I've worked hard, I've put all these words together. I surrender, I don't have the power to change anyone's life. These words, some of them rhyme, they're really great. It doesn't have the power to change anyone's life. Only you can do that, God. I don't have the power. Jeannie doesn't have the power. Our elders don't have the power to control this church. It's God's church. And so for me, surrender is, God, I, I had these plans. I had these dreams. We had these goals. We were supposed to be at this point, and then the whole world changed. I surrender. I surrender. I surrender. What are you doing, God? What are you doing, God? What are you doing, God? Because I can't align my life if I'm off busy chasing something else that's not of you. So God, what do you have for this church? I have, to sur- I have to surrender that. I have to continue to surrender. I have to surrender my desire for significance. I want to be significant in this world. I want people to know who I am, and I want them to think our church is awesome. For what? For what? A few more follows on Instagram? No, I surrender. I surrender. It's not worth it. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. I just want you. I just want you. So what would it look like for you this week to surrender? To fully, truly surrender to Jesus? Because if you're wondering the answer to the question, surrender is what success looks like in your spiritual life. That's what success actually looks like. It's surrender. It's surrender. I'm available. I'm available. I'm available to you. Whatever it may be, I surrender. I'm available to you, God. That's what we see in Jesus. He not only taught it, he did it. He lived it. Every day, he invited us into it. He invited us into a life of surrender. And so that's what I would love for each of us to consider. And I thought maybe what might be fun for us for a little homework this week is for us to, if you would, I think this might be worth doing. Is when you get up in the morning, what's the first thing you grab or you go for? Just be honest, like think about it. What's the first thing you go for? Most of us, our phone, someone said a cigarette, okay. Um, no, I mean, it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a rough day. Um, whatever it is, right? Some of us go for our phone. Some of us go for our coffee. Like, don't get in the way of me getting to that coffee, right? We all have our things. Some of us just go brush our teeth. Some of us open up our calendars. Like, we all have things that we go to. What if the first thing you went to in the morning was that posture? For 30 seconds, took maybe two, three deep breaths. God, I surrender today. Before anything happens, proactively, I surrender, I surrender, I surrender made yourself unassailably available to God. What do you think might happen this week? What do you think might happen? What do you think God might want to do if you made yourself utterly, unassailably, unshakably available to him this week? 
So what I'd love to do is give us a head start on that homework and, and take a second and just pray. I just want to close our time together in prayer. And then we're going to worship together. And I want to encourage you to let this song wash over you. And then as you're ready to say it and to sing it and declare it over your life, then you can begin to do that. But I'd love to pray for you. And I don't, if it's possible, wherever you're at, worshiping with us online and in this room, if it's physically possible for you, it's not going to be for everyone, but if it's physically possible for you, maybe when I pray right now, maybe as we move into this time of worship and response, the best thing for you to do is to take this position. If you can physically, is to get on your knees while we pray right now. And so if you want to do that, take that posture of surrender, get a head start. Maybe you got stuff you're carrying, stuff that you're pursuing right now. I'd encourage you, if you got room, if there's room, I mean, it's not going to be much longer that we're going to have this much room in our auditorium. So take advantage of the moment, if you can, if you want to. You don't have to. The balcony, that's too hard. Don't worry about it. But if you're at home right now, you're on the couch, you can do this. Take this posture of prayer. And I want to pray with you. I want to pray for you. Jesus, thank you that you, you you did it. You actually modeled it. You showed us. You didn't just talk about it. You did it every step of the way. Ultimately, what we see at the cross through an empty tomb is you surrendering to the will, the care, the love, the character of the Father. Would you help us, Holy Spirit, do the same this week? Would you help us proactively surrender to just lay our lives down, to let go of whatever it is that we're chasing after, to let go of whatever it is we're clinging on to, to lay it down into your care at your feet, to be able to say early in the morning throughout the day, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. I just want you. I just want you. The way this world's going to constantly pull me away from you. No, I just want you. I want you. I want to learn what it means to take that low place like you did, Jesus, and experience true greatness, true success as I surrender my life to you. I just want that's our prayer, Jesus. Help it to be true of our lives in this moment and beyond. We